When Moria Camp on Lesbos burnt down in September, leaving around 12,000 people without any form of shelter, the urgency of the need to resolve the failed migration and asylum policies on Greek islands was laid bare. Thousands of asylum seekers from the incinerated Moria camp are sleeping on a highway. Since the peak of the so-called refugee crisis, the Aegean islands have been testing grounds for the European Union project of migration management. The EU will support Greece in, in ensuring comprehensive, large-scale and fast-track returns to Turkey. Over the last four years since then, the failures of these policies have been continually exposed by abhorrent living conditions, mental health emergencies and daily risk and violence. After the fire, once again the entire crisis was at the top of the EU Commission's agenda. The response was a new package of proposals for renewed migration management, called the New Pact on Migration and Asylum. The Commission's package on migration and asylum, which we present today, offers a fresh start. The pact presented a vision of a streamlined system of governance centered on efficiency. The first floor is a very strong external dimension centered around strengthened partnerships with countries of origin and transit. The second is a robust management of our external borders. And the third is firm, fair internal rules of solidarity. According to Human Rights Watch, though, these proposals are far from the promised fresh start. Instead, the new pact risks further entrenching the focus on externalization, deterrence, containment and return. But how did we get to this point? And where did this model of migration management come from? In order to begin to understand the current situation, we first need to go back. So in today's episode, we're going to revisit the early days of the EU-Turkey deal on the Greek islands in 2016. This time to explore a lesser known aspect of the story. The role that private consultancy firm McKinsey played in operationalizing the EU migration policy. Before continuing though, I'm going to read a statement that we received from McKinsey when we contacted them requesting their comment on this podcast. McKinsey states, these issues raised in this podcast are based on a false premise. As the EU Commission has confirmed in written answers, McKinsey did not decide public policy or assess the merits of claims. Our role as documented was to provide operational data and advice to authorities to inform their decisions. This meant that cases of asylum seekers were processed quicker and heard sooner, which provided clarity about who had the right to remain in the EU. I'm Neve Kidi-Tabal, and this is the Human Rights Podcast from the Irish Centre for Human Rights at the National University of Ireland, Galway. With me is Dr. Lyric Stavanoha, lecturer in Media and International Development at the University of East Anglia, who, along with Apostolis Fotiadis, exposed the previously unknown role that McKinsey played in Europe's refugee crisis in their investigations this summer. I met with Lurek in Thessaloniki this past September to discuss these investigations. What you'll hear next are the conversations we recorded that day. So the story begins in the early autumn of 2016. That was at a point when there were thousands of asylum seekers on the Greek islands whose claims had not been processed yet. And uh, with kind of steady arrivals of new, new, new people, um, Mackenzie was essentially um, uh, brought in by the European Commission uh, to find ways to speed up the Greek asylum uh, system and to try and eliminate uh, this backlog of asylum cases that had been building up over the past months since the EU-Turkey deal came into force in March 2016. Since the EU-Turkey deal came into effect at the end of March, over 3,500 migrants and refugees have been trapped on Chios. For most, their fate remains unknown. 
And there were essentially two phases to McKinsey's involvement. The first phase from around September until uh, the end of 2016, uh, and involved essentially sort of pro bono work uh, that McKinsey did for, uh, for the European Commission. And its task was uh, essentially to map out all the obstacles and all the kind of bottlenecks uh, in the asylum procedure and to try and find ways to uh, eliminate these bottlenecks so that these claims could be uh, processed uh, and the backlog could eventually be eliminated uh, with a target date of April 2017. So during those first few months, uh, teams of McKinsey consultants were dispatched to the islands. Um, they held meetings with uh, the Greek uh, Asylum Service, with the uh, European Asylum Support Office uh, and all the other agencies, EU agencies that were involved on the ground, um, such as Frontex and Greek authorities. Um, and this involved some of the most senior kind of decision makers at the time uh, from all these different agencies. The second phase of the project involved McKinsey's work for the European Asylum Service. And that was a much more kind of targeted uh, um, uh, attempt to find ways to make the uh, Greek and European Asylum um, Services work more uh, efficiently. Can you take me through McKinsey's involvement? Yeah, so there were a whole range of measures that were being proposed by McKinsey, and this was quite a quite a big operation. Um, um, so I guess on the one hand, it involved um, restructuring the way the Greek Asylum Service, in particular, uh, was working uh, on the inside. Uh, so McKinsey had brought in a whole range of kind of corporate methods. Uh, to make the Greek Asylum Service work more efficiently, at least from their perspective. So that involved things like imposing performance management methods. Um, it, it involved things like uh, setting targets of decisions to be taken by individual caseworkers and individual appeals committees. Um, it involved things like performance dashboards being installed in the containers of um, the, the, the Greek Asylum Service um, um, offices on the islands. Um, so a whole range of measures to, to effectively put pressure on caseworkers um, and officials to speed up the number of claims that they were processing. So McKinsey was very much positioned at the heart of the European migration uh, decision-making apparatus. So during your research, you obtained hundreds of documents through freedom of information requests. What did these documents tell us about McKinsey's role? Um, so these documents provide a, I think, quite a unique insight into um, the kind of thinking that was um, involved in the management of the crisis in Greece at the time. Uh, so these were documents, I think it's important to recall that these were documents that were being circulated at the, at the, at the most senior levels of that decision-making apparatus. So I think what these documents show is McKenzie's attempt to transpose a, a kind of corporate logic of maximizing efficiency into the world of asylum uh, management. So if we look at the language, you, you, have, you have terms like end-to-end -end processes, uh, maximizing productivity. That was very much the core, the core logic of McKenzie's um, uh, involvement in Greece. So these documents, these were internal documents that McKenzie was uh, producing. 
and they give us an insight into Mackenzie's role at the time, a kind of a snapshot or an overview of its of its involvement uh, week by week. So it's essentially a collection of so-called uh, progress updates. Every two or three weeks, Mackenzie would give um, an overview of what was going on at the islands uh, at the time. So these were reports that were based on field visits by uh, Mackenzie consultants to the islands. There were regular meetings that were taking place at, at all levels of the decision-making apparatus. Um, meetings with caseworkers on the ground, with individual teams, with asylum committees, all the way to the very top with um, the directors of EASO, Frontex, um, the Greek Asylum Service. Uh, and the European Commission representative in in Athens. And so these reports uh, essentially give us a, an overview of what was happening on the islands at the time. So Mackenzie was, was documenting the various obstacles, bottlenecks, challenges um, that the different actors were facing. It was monitoring the way these actors were and stakeholders were implementing the measures that Mackenzie had proposed as a way of addressing the backlog of cases. Uh, it was issuing warnings about the slow uptake of these measures, um, about um, uh, the way the output of the Greek Asylum Service was still lagging behind the targets that it, has, it had set for individual committees and caseworkers. Mackenzie is a private consultancy firm, so I'm interested to know how that is evident in the way in which they framed the issues and the proposals that they came up with? I think pretty much any page you look at uh, in these reports, you can see the this kind of corporate um, uh, efficiency maximization logic. If we look at the language, it's all about corporate efficiency. So essentially it's McKinsey transplanting or transposing uh, its, 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 its methods of of improving and increasing productivity in the corporate sector and transposing that into the field of asylum management. So we have the language of maximizing productivity, maximizing output, uh, performance management. Uh, we have performance dashboards that are being set for individual caseworkers. And you spoke to uh, caseworkers that were working in the Greek Asylum Service at the time. In your investigation, how did they perceive Mackenzie's role? So together with uh, Apostolis Fotiadis, uh, my, my co-author, uh, we spoke to a, f a few uh, caseworkers and, um, and, you know, one of them said that this, 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 this corporate um, uh, approach uh, and, and logic of maximizing efficiency uh, really jarred with the reality on the ground and, and really jarred with the ethos within the Greek asylum service. Uh, which is of course a public uh, administration, um, and and there was there was resistance f from the very kind of bottom uh, level of of caseworkers um, towards this idea of maximizing efficiency and and increasing output in terms of decisions, uh, asylum decisions uh, being taken uh, at all costs. Refugee advocates and and human rights lawyers have repeatedly stressed that plans uh, that we see coming from the EU level to increase efficiency when it comes to asylum systems must not come at the cost of procedural safeguards and, and guarantees for the rights of, of asylum seekers. I'm interested to know about how McKinsey's plans uh, 
which center maximizing productivity and efficiency, how they translated into into policies or proposals for policies on the ground. First of all, I think what's really important to note about these documents that we obtained is that across the hundreds of pages that we uh, sifted through, um, there is not a single acknowledgement of uh, this precise tension that you mentioned and, and the concerns that were being raised around, you know, how can you reconcile uh, maximizing productivity and maximizing efficiency and speeding up the whole asylum machinery uh, while at the same time maintaining access to fair asylum procedures. So there's no mention of um, international protection. We don't have uh, the word refugee or refugees is not mentioned anywhere. Um, um, people are being referred to through quite dehumanizing language as returnable migrants, as instantly processable migrants, as transferable migrants. So I think this this kind of language is quite illustrative of the way that Mackenzie uh, approached this whole crisis or this problem on the islands. Um, and this was evident also in the kind of policies and measures that Mackenzie was proposing to the individual actors. So we have, on the one hand, we have a whole series of measures that Mackenzie was proposing to the Greek Asylum Service um, uh, in terms of how to internally restructure the way that it was operating, in terms of more substantive measures that were being proposed, um, I think this is this is really where uh, it becomes evident how maximizing efficiency and reducing the number of asylum claims uh, was paramount um, and superseded any concerns about human rights about. Um, fair asylum procedures. So for example, there were a whole range of measures that were uh, that were proposed by McKenzie, but I think I think uh, some of the most most interesting and 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 I think controversial ones were for example, in one of the documents McKenzie says that the authorities should minimize the number of cases going into first and especially second instance through proactive communication of appeal chances and AVRR. Proactive communication, what exactly does that entail? So essentially, uh, Mackenzie uh, was trying to dissuade people from um, filing appeals or even submitting a sound place in the first place um, by targeting um, them in what they call strategic situations. So one, one, of, these, one of these strategic situations was, was upon arrival. Mm-hmm. So basically, people would be, uh, the aim was to get the International Organization for Migration, the IOM, together with the Greek police, to target people uh, immediately upon arrival. Uh, so this is just after having survived a perilous journey across the sea. They would be uh, targeted with with information packs, with information about the uh, assisted voluntary return scheme, essentially trying to minimize the number of people who would enter the asylum procedure. So essentially, Mackenzie was trying to find ways that people could be dissuaded from either submitting asylum claims or appealing negative decisions. So the aim was to get the International Organization for Migration together with the Greek police to target people in so-called strategic situations. Another so-called strategic situation was um, immediately after notification of a negative decision. 
So when asylum seekers find out that their application for international protection has been rejected? That's right. Um, when they've when they found out that they've been rejected and essentially when people are at their most vulnerable. And I think this is really one of the most insidious proposals um, in these in these documents that we obtained. Definitely, because one of the major issues in the asylum procedures at that time, uh, since the EU-Turkey deal was implemented, was the lack of, of legal assistance, of legal information. So it, it's very worrying to see that one of their proposals about improving, or supposedly improving the system, was not about... Uh, increasing the quality or developing the quality of information that was being provided to asylum seekers. That's right. Um, in, 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 in none of the documents is there any reference to the need um, to improve or facilitate access to legal information or legal aid. So when we talk about maximizing efficiency, that does not entail maximizing or improving the efficiency of legal information provision legal aid, which at the time was almost entirely absent in the camps. Most people that I spoke to at the time had very little idea about their rights, about the procedures. Um, uh, they had um, very limited access um, to, to lawyers. Most of the legal information provision was done by grassroots volunteer teams, by, you know, German law students in the car park of, uh, of, of the camp on Chios. So all that kind of meticulous analysis that McKinsey conducted uh, of trying to identify the various problems and challenges and obstacles and bottlenecks facing the that whole asylum regime on the islands, it did not include um, or it did not acknowledge that fundamental lack of legal aid and legal information. So on the subject of human rights concerns, McKinsey also had very specific proposals about detention. That's right. Um, detention features quite prominently in these reports. There was a constant appeal to the Greek authorities to increase detention capacity on the islands, which was seen as insufficient for operationalizing the EU-Turkey statement. So for each island, McKinsey was urging the Greek police to increase the tension capacity so that people who had been informed of their so-called returnable status could be detained immediately upon notification of either a rejection of their asylum claim, uh, a rejection of their appeal, or if they had withdrawn their asylum claim. This imperative of maximizing efficiency also led to some surprising proposals. So in the documents, we find that uh, McKinsey repeatedly advised against the use of the quite limited detention capacity on the islands for voluntary return cases. The idea was that, well, these are people who have already agreed to voluntarily return, so they don't need to be detained. Instead, that detention capacity should be used for those uh, who are being forcibly returned either to Turkey or their countries of origin. Interestingly, McKinsey also urged Greek authorities to drop the contentious Maghreb pilot project. This was a pilot project where uh, essentially migrants from North Africa and other countries with low recognition rates were being automatically detained upon arrival to Lesbos and Kos. And I think what's interesting is that opposition to these practices uh, was guided not by any sort of human rights considerations, 
rather the aim was to make more efficient use of uh, the detention capacity for forced returns back to Turkey. Another way that McKinsey was suggesting to address the backlog was through what they call consequence enforcement. So for example, in March 2017, McKinsey wrote in its report uh, that it wanted to, quote, mitigate the lack of will for transfer to mainland camps of those asylum seekers who had permission to leave the islands, but who, quote, do not consent to less attractive shelter uh, in often quite remote camps on the Greek mainland. So in order to address this, uh, UNHCR was asked to, quote, implement sanction mechanisms that make stays in the hotspots less attractive. One of the measures that was being proposed here was to cut people's access um, to the cash card. Um, cash assistance that the UNHCR provide. That's right. One of the measures that was being proposed was to cut people's uh, access to cash assistance that was being provided by UNHCR uh, and to only make this available on the mainland. Essentially, they were introducing punitive policies uh, in order to influence people's behavior, people's movements. That's right. So I think this is one of the examples of kind of punitive measures that were being uh, proposed by McKinsey um, to try and get people to move along that kind of procedural chain and to, to get them off the islands um, uh, and to eliminate the backlog. Mm -hmm. And another measure that was being proposed was to, quote, reduce initial training time of caseworkers and interviewers. McKinsey identified security incidents as a, as a cause for one of these backlogs as well. That's right. This was seen as a source of inefficiency. And McKinsey had a very frank response, uh, which was to increase security presence on the islands to reduce what they call downtime caused by riots and unrest. Rather than addressing, for example, the living conditions. That's correct. Uh, uh, there's no mention of that in, in the reports, the living conditions, the humanitarian conditions. Uh, there's no acknowledgement of how that might be the root cause of the social unrest. And there's certainly no acknowledgement of how the living conditions in the camps, which were atrocious at the time and still are, uh, how that might undermine people's ability to to exercise their right to asylum. So almost a million euro of European Union funding went towards McKinsey's involvement. Did their proposals bring tangible results? Well, it's actually quite difficult to say because from the documents that we obtained, uh, we don't know which of the measures that McKinsey had proposed were actually adopted and implemented by the various stakeholders. This is in part made more difficult by the fact that the European Commission uh, still now, three years later, refuses to disclose a lot of the details of McKinsey's involvement. So many of the documents that we requested are redacted, uh, uh, redacted on grounds of public security and protecting the commercial interests of McKinsey. So despite the EU Ombudsman's insistence that uh, some of these uh, details are disclosed, the Commission, uh, quote, respectfully disagrees. I'd also caution against giving too much credit to McKinsey. Uh, from our interviews with insiders within the Greek Asylum Service, it was apparent that a lot of these measures and proposals were already being floated within the Greek, Greek bureaucracy. So it's not like this was a sort of uh, external imposition 
of measures upon uh, the Greek asylum service. But I think also more indirectly, McKinsey's role uh, or involvement served to legitimize um, this, this fiction or to create this kind of parallel reality where the EU-Turkey statement could be made to work, that this vision of a fast-tracked asylum procedure you know, that could be completed within a matter of you know, less than 15 days from start to finish from someone's arrival on the Greek islands uh, to the completion of their asylum claim, uh, that that could actually be made to work. Um, so in that sense, McKinsey, I think, did play an important role in legitimizing the hotspot approach itself. We left our conversation there, but if you're interested in finding out more about this topic, you can find Ludic's investigations on Balkan Insight. Thank you for listening, and thank you very much to Ludic for sharing your work with us on the Human Rights Podcast. <laughs>